Welcome to Behind the Confidence Smile. I am your host, Bianca Cotton, and I am joined here today by Michelle Ramirez. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you for being here and willing to talk about surviving domestic violence, which is such a heavy topic. So I appreciate your vulnerability. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us about your upbringing. Yes. So in my house, we had, um, or we have actually my parents, um, and it is four siblings, so four children total, and then our family pets. <laughs> um, growing up, it, it, it was your typical, traditional um, Mexican Salvadorian household. Um, so very loud, very, um, it was always like, there's always something going on, right? <laughs> um, overall, it, I, I really feel that we had a very good childhood, good as in we always had what we needed. Um, we had just enough like fun, fun things, right? Um, we were very low income growing up, very, very low income. Um, and so I think all of those things really have shaped who I am now and how I how I live my life. Um, I no longer live with my parents, but we are like five minutes away from each other. <laughs> so very close. Your neighbors. <laughs> Practically. So during lunch um, time, I do go over and I'm like, I'm here, mom. <laughs> so growing up, did you see within your household uh, violence occurring or was it a peaceful, tranquil space? Overall, it was very calm. It was very calm. Uh, my parents did argue a lot, I think, but they always tried their best to hide it. Um, they tried <laughs> to keep things in the room with the doors closed. But, you know, even though we might have been in our room, as we always shared rooms, my siblings and I, uh, you still heard things and you still saw or you just felt the tension, right? So you knew when they were mad at each other, when someone did something. Mm. <laughs> um, but overall, I mean, uh, thankfully, we didn't really see physically, like physical violence. I think it was more verbal, emotional, um, like what people typically don't consider domestic violence. Um, mm. You know, when people hear that topic or, or that phrase, they immediately think it's physical only. Um, but but no, I, I, again, I really can't exactly pinpoint a time when I would see physical. Um, but I mean, we, we knew it was there. We knew that they could have had a more peaceful relationship maybe or and continue. But, you know, they, they're, my parents are still there. They're together. Um, but that's kind of how, how our home context was. Got it. Got it. So in, in growing up with multiple siblings and a household where it's always things going on, um, did you crave silence? Like as a sibling with multiple siblings? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes I just wanted my my quiet space, right? Mm -hmm. Um but I mean, always sharing a room. I didn't have my own room until I moved out <laughs> the first time. And I kind of, I mean, when I first moved out, I actually moved out with a partner. Um, and I mean, even at that, it was a shared room, right? Uh, but yeah, at some point, I just wanted my own quiet, kind of quiet space. But I also appreciated having my older sister, my little sister, my little brother around. Mm -hmm. um, 
it was never a dull moment. Um, it was never quiet, <laughs> right? Barely, barely. And if it was, then that was concerning. <laughs> mm-hmm. You would ask where the kids are. <laughs> Definitely. Mm-hmm. You mentioned domestic violence is not just physical mm-hmm. and it's emotional. <clears throat> it can be financial. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience uh, and how you met your partner mm-hmm. Um within the domestic violence situation? Yes. So, um, like I mentioned, the first time I moved out, I was maybe, it was towards the end of college. So maybe like Mm -hmm. um, I was 20, 19, 20, around there, I believe. Um, That was the first time I moved uh, in with a partner. We both moved into a new apartment. Um, It was someone that I met uh, in junior high. So Mm -hmm. 13, I think, years of age, right? Um, And at that point, from 13 until like my early 20s, it was quite a bit of time. Um, He was never really physical. Uh, Actually, like the first, through dating, it was was such a great time. Um, And then even like the first maybe a year, maybe we reached a year when of living together when it was still okay. Um, And then after that, it was just like a whole story changed. throughout or in like the beginning steps it was not again it was not physical uh it was more of mental emotional financial um and and I won't go really into like full detail but at the end of that um I I ended up moving out and then I moved back in because he was gonna change (laughs) and um I do believe that if people do not want to like genuinely change like they need to be seeking resources right there's different kind of of um spaces that they can partake in if one does want to change but none of that was there again we were still fairly young um and i I ended up moving back out again and back and it was a whole mess (laughs) but luckily my parents are always there and and we had friends mutual friends that came through and they helped with like packing my stuff and everything so it was a moment in my life that it was very chaotic um like i said he never he never hit me right um but he would say really mean things and i feel like i'm always very vibrant i try to be very vibrant and alive and and just bring this energy because that's just how i am but i did not have that energy my spark wasn't there anymore um I would wear like red lipstick. That's actually when I started to wear red lipstick (laughs) because um, it was a way of like masking, being Mm -hmm. unhappy and being sad all the time. Um, And so now, I mean, I didn't put the red on today, but um, now it it tells a different story, right? Now when I wear red, when I wear these bold colors, it's because that's how I feel now. Um, But back then, uh, again, he would say things like, oh, you're so ditzy. Right. Or things like, do you have like, um, what was like air, air in your head? Just very mean, negative things that I, I don't know why I would allow that to happen. Right. My, my, I remember my sister, my older sister would be like, why is he talking to you like that? Cause he would talk to me like that in front of other people and just like putting me down. Um, and then eventually, uh, again, we were so young, we didn't have credit. And this was like the, the cherry on top of the whole story <laughs> um, that he he actually worked at a, at a dealership. And now I knew nothing about cars. I didn't know how you drove even. <laughs> um, 
And so at some point, we had a great idea of getting cards under each other's names as co-signers so we could build each other's credit, right? And now this wasn't like a, a boyfriend that I just like met. Like we had a history of friendships, of, of uh, engaging in similar spaces together um, throughout high school and so on. Um, and so fast forward a little bit um, into the future, once we, uh, once I decided to like move out like uh, indefinite, right? Um, I was figuring out my my next steps and everything until the bank started calling me. And then I was like, why is a bank calling me? I don't even have an account there. <laughs> um, so that's when I went in and I asked. Um, and that's when I realized that one of the cars, or actually both of the cars that we had were not under, uh, well, one of them was actually under both of our names, but I was the main person and he was the, the co-signer. And then in the other car, that he that was supposed to be mainly under his name wasn't un, under his name. It was just me. So now here I am, not knowing how to drive with two cars to my name. That he stopped paying because he got mad that I moved out, <laughs> and that he couldn't no longer right have access to to me. Um, so after consulting, I mean, at early twenties, I didn't know what to do with such debt. Right? Uh, he had the cars infested with tickets um, from local communities, from tolls. It was it was just a lot. Um, I did consult with. Uh, there is a, a nonprofit organization, and they had um, financial consultants. Mm -hmm. And so she went. I explained my situation. And I'm like, I just need to know what what's best for me financially. Um, I've always worked. I've always worked one, two. I've done up to three jobs at a time, um, and so. You know, it wasn't a matter of like, could I pay it or not? But what was better for my mind? Mm -hmm. Do I want to stress kicking, you know, three jobs <laughs> a day? Um, or do I want to just be peaceful and uh, just do whatever I have to do? So we decided um, that a Chapter 7 bankruptcy was actually best. Um, and and I, I didn't have the cars. One of the cars I was like, um, one I kept and I kept on paying. Um Myself, which was a bittersweet situation because by me paying, yeah, I'm helping my credit, but I'm helping his credit, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then with the the other car, he took it um, and I couldn't return it because it wasn't under my possession, which was a, a whole other legal conversation. Um, so I just told the bank roughly where he was because I, I did have an idea um, and the bank picked it up. Uh, maybe like a day or two later um and and yeah so that that like financial we talk about financial um domestic violence right mm -hmm. things that are impactful that did uh hinder my my growth in that time frame um it caused a lot of like panic attacks a lot of anxiety um i did uh, attend domestic violence therapy for maybe like a year and a half i think um at a domestic violence agency um, and filing a bankruptcy in before 30, <laughs> before mm -hmm. 30, I think that was like the, the greatest, um, part. I, I wish I could have avoided that. Right. But, um, again, I did what, what my mind and my heart needed to just close that chapter and, and start fresh. Um, so that, that's been my experience, um, I think actually in, in conversation we've talked. Um, you you once asked when did I when did I realize right mm -hmm. that it was time to go right. Um, 
I realized not through all these like financial hurdles, <laughs> but I, I actually I knew it was time to go when I actually was scared for the first time um, of someone, right, of him. Um, so it was a day that uh, I'm not sure why he was upset, but I mean, I had nothing to do with it. And so he got home and he punched the wall and he punched a hole in the wall. And then that's when I'm like, okay, my face can be next or my mm -hmm. body. And so I, I believe it was actually like that day that I um, I asked, uh, I activated the team <laughs> that uh, was previously uh, helping and we, I just went back to my mom's house. Um, and actually like the, the, he would insist, right. And in, like talking to me or how are you or have a, have a beautiful day. All these things that they're mind games or they're tricks that they know how to, how to get you. Um, so I actually, I actually said that I had, um, an order of, uh, protection, mm. uh, to keep him away, uh, I did not, right? I did not have that order. That's a whole legal process to obtain that. But that that was my way of saying that. And since then, I have not been contacted at all by him. It's been years at this point. Um, so it's an experience, indeed. Um, but I, I think, it, again, it has shaped who I am, how I am, and how I create the future and my life and my household now. Yeah. First, I want to say... I'm sorry that you <laughs> endured that, went through that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad that you are sitting here today uh, to share with others who may be currently mm -hmm. experiencing <laughs> something similar and may not know what to do or who to talk to. And it sounds as though... You activated your community when you start to see the warning signs. Mm -hmm. Even though you moved out, moved back in, you know, you you had the sound like the tug of war. Right. Like, oh, maybe it's not that bad. It was not a linear process. <laughs> right. It's not a linear process. Um, so I wanted you to talk more about the warning signs that you saw or did you ignore them like, oh, well, maybe this is normal? Mm -hmm. um, I definitely justified. Mm. I justified. Um, I, I do know that he had a very bad, not bad, a very disturbed childhood with parents being separated, but not, not even just that, but like the, the kind of parenting. Um, so there was a lot of like unstableness, right? So I, I justified. Um, at that time, I was diving into trauma <laughs> and, and looking at things through a trauma lens. And so I was always uh, trying to justify, oh, he's like this because this happened. Or he doesn't mean to say this or do this. Um, and so I saw the warning signs. I knew they, I knew what they were. But I, I again, it's like accountability versus... Um, just responsibility, right? Um, I think now I realize that even though someone might have had a very troubling childhood, at this point, as an adult, you need to figure out what kind of household or what kind of person you want to be. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it was definitely like, I. it's not that I did not see them. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's good. And in regards to... Anxiety. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you start having <laughs> panic attacks. Yeah. 
where did the anxiety start to build for you in this journey? Um, so when we were living together, he would yell. Mm-hmm. And now think in mind or remember, I do come from a very loud household, right? Very loud Latino household. <laughs> um but this yelling was different because it was not yelling around the house. It was yelling at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, I think, is what triggered a lot of my anxiety. Um, I would actually have panic attacks when, like, he would leave me because, I, again, I didn't drive. So he would leave me at home and he would go out with his friends and the car is sitting out in the front and he has other car. And I'm like, I want to go and do things. I've always been very active to now be stuck in the house because it's midwinter and I don't drive. Right. Um, so I did try a lot of things such as um, putting like the, the candles, um, soothing candles, eucalyptus plants, <laughs> sage. I would sage my home, um, sleep with, uh, I, uh, I think you would do like just diff- different kind of cultural things, mm-hmm. cultural healing. Um, uh, yeah, just different ways that I, I was learning on my own about um, in combination with, uh, well, actually therapy I started at after. Um, but so, I mean, I didn't even have therapy at that point. I knew a little bit about coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. not like the breathing. Not, I didn't know very much like in depth of how to do them, but I, I was YouTubing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so trying to figure it out, right? Um, at some point, though, after I had moved out, I did see a psychiatrist um, because I couldn't sleep. I would wake up numerous times in the night sweating. I would like, um, I was I was sweating. I was like uh, uh, heavy breathing. Um, and I didn't know why that was or how to, how, to, how did I make that stop, right? Um, and my doctor said that it was because I was thinking, I was still thinking about these things, replaying things. But when you're sleeping, you're, I felt like I didn't know how to, control that when mm-hmm. you're sleeping and I'm not controlling my mind. Right. Um, so it was very tricky. And I took many referrals from my primary care provider uh, to actually get me into the psychiatrist's office. Um, uh, but after I did it, I it was such like an aha moment <laughs> um, because I, I did take meds for a little bit. They were um, anxiety meds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took them for a couple of months maybe just enough to regulate uh, the chemicals in my brain, right? And and I think that's why we often forget that trauma um, triggers or it just imbalances certain things in your mind that are really out of your hands. And that's why we have these professionals that know about this. They're professionals in their field, and we need to trust them, right, sometimes to to help us. Um, So that was definitely a very vulnerable point that I did not want to go see a psychiatrist. You you know, we grew up with like, oh, no, you only go to them if you're crazy. And even like breaking down what the word crazy means. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so after that, I I stopped. I stopped taking the meds when I felt like I I was I was better to not take them. Um, I wasn't a fan of taking medication for anxiety, um, but I was open to it. And I was open to it if I was able to balance with therapy. And that's what I did. And then I just stayed attending uh, therapy for a couple of more months after that. Wow. How how did your family um, <clears throat> embrace you after you moved back in mm-hmm. and you're with a therapist, like you're breaking these cultural barriers mm-hmm. and the silence 
that often kills us, right? Um, because of, like you said, with the realistic, you want to appear like you're right. happy, <laughs> but you're really not. Uh-huh. You start to break these barriers. Mm-hmm. So what was the response in your family? Yeah, so they didn't know in depth what was going on mm-hmm. because I never shared with them. Okay. Because I didn't think that they were able to understand Right. Because it was not a conversation that we've had at home before. Um, so they, they knew that things weren't working out and that I wanted to move back and leave him. That's mm. what they knew. And so at some point, my mom, she did say, oh, but you have to fight for your marriage. I'm like, we're not married. <laughs> He's a partner. He's not my husband. Right. So for me, that did give me more flexibility, more autonomy to take my next steps. Um, and then that is even interpreted uh, not the best, right? If you move in with someone, now that's your spouse. Um, so you, whether or not you were married, that's, that's your person now. Um, and there's not going back. <laughs> um, and so there was that kind of feeling. Um, so I, I, I did feel like there was a little bit of like, oh, she failed, right? Or, or, and maybe that was coming from them, my parents maybe. Um, but I think I had also internalized the way we grew up. So secretly it was me speaking through that perspective when in reality um I didn't feel that way so it was it was a a, and like an identity shock like a little mix there um but I mean they were all very kind (laughs) they were kind um and I think even though I they didn't know exactly what was going on they just knew that I just needed them there Mm -hmm. and and that's that's what they did Did you ever tell them exactly what happened? As time went on, little by little, I've been like spilling it out. (laughs) Uh Yeah, but um, I mean, overall, like right now, they see me in a different position. So I know that they know, right, the the growth. They know that the change. Um, They would see me how they would see me before to how they see me now, I, I know it's different. And I, I not only be, like through them, but through myself, I know that too. Mm-hmm. If you could go back and talk to 21, 22-year-old mm-hmm. Michelle, what would you tell her? Um, what would I tell young me? <laughs> that is a good question. <laughs> um, I think I think it's what I, what I have always said to myself. You'll figure it out. Mm. you'll figure it out like whatever happens um you'll just figure it out I I like taking my steps in life with what feels right to me in that moment so I might not know what the outcome might be (laughs) um but it's okay and and it's okay to not know and it's okay to to do what makes you happy it's okay that we get to it's actually great that we get to build a life that we want like there's literally no no uh blueprint for our life Mm -hmm. we get to figure that out um which i think is a very exciting um part of life yes and so now being on the other (laughs) side of this journey uh, of time what do you tell other women or do you tell talk to other women about not settling mm-hmm. um, for environments, for relationships that is not helping them to flourish? I do. Um, I think there's power in, in your voice and your words and your story. And so I am a big fan of sharing your story. Um, for so long, I think women and women of color have been told to not 
you don't share. In Spanish, we have the saying, um, calladita te ves más bonita. So when you're quiet, that's when you look the prettiest. Mm-hmm. Um, so really dismantling that and taking ownership of your voice and putting your voice everywhere that you can. Um, I do... I am conscious that um, I'm me, no one to tell someone what to do, what's their next step. It's something that they have to figure it out. Um, on average, I believe it is that one leaves their domestic abuse partner, uh, I believe it's on average like 10 times before the final time. So I did a couple of times myself, right? Not 10, but I was heading that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a journey. It's everyone's own path. And people just need, as long as they know that they have their team to activate, right? At some point when they're ready, then I will be part of your team when you tell me that you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's the only way to really end this. Can we end domestic violence overall? I don't know. It's uh, I hope so. I want to. Right. <laughs> One person at a time. Um, also being conscious that this is not just a, a woman problem, right? right? This happens to men too. And there's so many factors that go into that. Like, uh, are you English fluent? Are you not? What's your immigration status? Like, what's your economy like? Um, your, your schooling, your, your background, right? Your educational background, all these things. And, and it happens to people around us everywhere. Um, so yes, one person at a time will, and starting these conversations from when, we have little kids. Yes. Um, so that four-year-old, five-year-old, learning about body autonomy, learning about consent. I didn't learn about consent until I was in college. Oh, wow. My freshman year of college. And there was, um, I believe, a sexual assault case on campus. And, and that's how this topic started coming out. So really, if a child says that they don't want to hug today, they don't want to hug today, <laughs> you know, right. and just respecting that. Um, respecting the body. Right. Mm-hmm. And boundaries. Right, boundaries, yes. Mm. Oh, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I am so grateful for you sharing all that you shared today and all the resources within your journey of um, going to therapy. Mm-hmm taking the medication even though you didn't care to but it sound like it helped you to, it was to beautiful <laughs> the to first re- night I got the night the right, good night's sleep, sleep I I that's a feeling I will not forget yeah mm. <laughs> and I was like oh this is what people do when it's nighttime and <laughs> they sleep right. they have a good sleep a good sleep mm-hmm Mm. And now you can continue to have good sleep. Yes, now I do. <laughs> that makes me smile. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <me> too. <laughs> so, so I, again, thank you. Thank you for not only thriving now, but sharing what's behind your smile. Thank you. <laughs> and I, and my hope is that many, many, many other women, men, children. There's the community. Mm-hmm. We wrap our arms around each other. Right. Yes. So until next time. <laughs> <laughs>